0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Exodus 17, 1-7 All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go behold I will stand there I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope, of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For a while, we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, And much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we will always rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation.
1: A reading from the Gospel of John. So Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whatever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered her, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to a woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do do you not say there are yet four months and then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord.
2: Thank you, Eric. That was a lot of verses, and you did a wonderful, wonderful job reading that. We are in a series right now called The Voice of Peace. It is a series that is taking us through the season of Lent, and what we're doing here, and we said this every week, is that Lent begins just after the story of Jesus's transfiguration. And if you remember the story of Elijah, Elijah was trying to hear the voice of God, and he tried to hear it amidst the earthquake, and he tried to hear it in the wind, and he tried to hear it in the fire, and then he finally heard it in a still small voice, or better translated, he heard it in the sound of silence. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah is now looking at the silence that spoke to him. And there are so many fiery, fiery, earthquakey, windy voices in our life and around us. And we need to learn how to let those voices sit still until they're quiet enough for us to hear the voice of the one who doesn't intrude on the other voices. Jesus is not a gossip and he's not a busybody and he will wait for all the other voices to be quiet and then he'll speak. Our problem is that we hear those voices and run and do what they say and when Jesus speaks, we have gone. Because we like voices of fire and voices of earthquake and voices of wind. We're uncomfortable with Jesus' voice of silence. I'll leave that. The voices that show up the quickest are probably the voices that we need to sit still through until they're quiet. Because his voice doesn't intrude. He's the name above all names because he's the voice that waits for all the other voices to speak. Jesus is content coming in last because the last shall be... In the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus' introduction, the introduction of God in the flesh, the introduction of the Son of Man, the introduction of our salvation, the introduction of the voice that created the universe in Genesis chapter 1, this is the introduction of all introductions. This is the number one person who will ever be introduced in the history of the world. And guess what? Almost a hundred names come before his in his own introduction. When Jesus is introduced, he he'd rather your name's be said 10 times before his. Because he thinks about you 10 times more than he thinks about himself. How many other people do we think about when we wake up before we think about ourselves? I counted one. Mine. He's the name above all names because he's the name that's willing to come after all names. He's the name above all names because he's the voice that's willing to come after all the voices. Jesus doesn't cut to the front of the line. He waits for everything to finish, and then he speaks. Do we have the patience to wait through the voices? My name is Legion, for we are many. A lot of voices in my dome up here. Lent teaches us to wait those voices out because none of them... All of them promise. None of them deliver. So in week one, we discussed recovering the Christian conversation in our heart and in our home. When we make decisions, does Jonah and Habakkuk and Deuteronomy and James and First and Second Peter, do they factor in anymore to our life choices? Or are they just readings that we take with us whatever we choose, wherever we go? Do we ask Hosea, what do you think about this decision I'm going to make? Do we we allow Isaiah to weigh in? Do we allow Ezekiel to talk to us through the pages of Scripture? Or do we make decisions and then do our devotionals after all the decision-making is done? We need to recover the Christian conversation in our hearts and in our homes. Last week... We discussed recovering the voice of mission within the genealogy or within the story that you're a part of. We're all part of a story that didn't begin with us, and we're all part of a story that's going to continue after us. Do we have a conversation anymore about what got us to today and what that may mean for our future? There's a lot of good decisions to make in life, but there aren't a lot of right ones. There's a lot of good choices. There are very few correct choices. How do I know? Because the choices that we make are always going to be consistent with our spiritual genealogy. The way we grew up, good or bad, matters to our calling. The things that traumatized us or blessed us when we were young, they matter to our calling. Because God doesn't waste anything. He works all things together for good, not some things, not good things, not just bad things, all things. When we say he works all things together for good, we think the bad things. But guess what? The good things in my life still need to be worked out for good, because they're not good enough if Jesus doesn't touch them. Amen? This week, we're going to discuss recovering the voice that makes for peace within our communities. Has anybody ever met anyone who complains chronically. Has anyone ever been behind somebody online at a deli or a place that you really wanted to get something to eat or drink and the person just in front of you is playing lotto and complaining because the cashier's not getting their numbers right on the take five or pick five. And you just want to tap them on the shoulder and say, here's the thing, I can really help with this. Stop playing lotto. However, my name is Pastor Bill D'Andriano, and if you should win any of this lotto, you should come to my church and tithe and clean that money up in the name of Jesus. As usual, I was really hungry one day, and I was behind somebody who apparently is a regular at this deli, and he was ordering what he orders every day, and it, it was a bacon cheeseburger at the deli. It's weird when you order burgers at a deli, but I'm not going to judge the person. I eat weird too. It's fine. And he said, this is more than it was yesterday. And the lady said, it's because you got fries this time. And he said, but that's not why it's more. And I'm standing there for 15 minutes while he's going back with her. It's like, last week, dude, you bought one apple and it cost X. X this year you're this day you're buying two apples and it costs x plus that's how it works stop eating cheeseburgers every single day have you ever met somebody who complains all the time are you sitting next to somebody who complains all the time if you're sitting next to a chronic complainer would you please shout amen no i'm just kidding don't 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 i stood behind that person and in my head i was like god Is there a way to call fire down from heaven? Or is that just like a thing? Or what is wrong with him and his eating habits? Or why is he complaining so much? And then the Holy Spirit's like, I can't hear what he needs because you're complaining so much about him. Oh, all right, Lord. I will be quiet. I was wrong, just like I was wrong about the Fred Hammond album. My brother was right. This is a terrible day. I went and told him he was right. Actually, I said, you were mostly right because I'm not humble and he's working on me. But he was all the way right. My brother, Frank, was right. (laughs) Dad probably knew you were right immediately. I don't have problems. I don't have problems. You have problems. So the Israelites... They are delivered from Egypt through signs and wonders, and they get to the Red Sea and they complain because Pharaoh's army is coming. God parts waters. They walk through as on dry ground, and Pharaoh's army drowns. And then they get thirsty, and the water is bitter, and they complain again. God throws a stick into the water, and it becomes the best water you've ever tasted, and a little bit later they got hungry. And God made Bread show up on the ground every day and they ate and were satisfied and they got bored of the bread and wanted meat. God had a whole bunch of birds fly in and lay down and say, we're here for you to eat us. They got thirsty in the text that we just read and said to Moses, give us a drink. Why has God brought us out here? Why have you brought us out here to kill us? with thirst one of the words that was spoken during the worship service is that god seeks to realign us and sometimes he brings us through he brings us through discomfort to reveal in us the things that need to heal And in this story with the Israelites, he is giving them daily provision. On the day that you needed water to part, I parted the water. On the day that you needed water to be sweet, I made the water sweet. On the day when you needed bread to show up, bread showed up. And he's revealing to them that they are the kinds of people, that we are the kinds of people that without the Holy Spirit are the kinds of people who are always as thankful as the last thing that happened, but never anything else. I was in the St. Patrick's Day parade yesterday because Sophia was marching. I, th- I felt like it was a parade for me, but I didn't tell anybody that. I was marching in it, and you can spend a whole day on Main Street and Beacon, and you could buy your children candy and hot chocolate and food, and if the last thing they asked for, you say no, it was the worst day ever, and you want to leave them on Main Street and Beacon. Hey, the parade's coming again. Go. Let's go. Like, you know? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not really like that. We are so the same way with each other, with the Lord, with our blessings. I remember, and some of you know this story, but I'm going to repeat this story anyhow, but some of you know the story. Uh, this is years and years ago when Jack and I were first married. We were coming home from Rehoboth Beach, and... Uh, Our sister-in-law, Karen, wanted to go see fireworks. And so we went to see fireworks in a very crowded New Windsor park. And I took my wallet out of my pocket because I felt uncomfortable because I have OCD a little bit. And I put it on the blanket. And my wife has a huge fear of spiders. And so when we got up to leave, she shook the blanket out really, really hard and crazy-like. And my wallet went flying, and I didn't know, and we went home. And at 1 o'clock in the morning, we had to go back because I realized my wallet is on the ground there. And when we went there, I said I know exactly where I left it because it's right next to that tree that everybody was complaining about. We can't see the sky. The sky. There's no tree in the history of the world that blocks the entire sky, but apparently Karen and Jacqueline sat next to one. And so I knew where we were sitting and Jacqueline is all the way down far away from where we were sitting, and I was, it was like 1.30 a.m., we had driven for 12 hours, and I was like, Jacqueline, that's not where it was. She's like, I found it. (laughs) Holy Spirit said to both of us right there, there's going to be seasons where you lose your provision, and you will find it, but it will never be where you're looking for it. All right, okay. All right, God, pun intended, I'll keep that in my back pocket, unlike my wallet. Years later, we're moving out of our first apartment that we had. We packed everything, and I was hungry. And we ordered Antonella's to do what in the world? Did anybody hear that? Hope the kids, hope my dad's okay down there. Anyway. Uh, We order Antonella's and it's on its way and everything is packed and we just like we we left the TV plugged in and we were going to watch the blacklist and eat our faces off after packing all day. And about five minutes before dude shows up with the food, I can't find my wallet anywhere. We start unpacking boxes. My temper is now leaving my soul. Like, the, you, know, you know when you get the kind of man where you're like, I just don't care. I'm going to open every box. I'm going to open I just don't care. Like, you don't care anymore? Mad? So Jacqueline goes, why don't you take the garbage out? And I'm like, hey, 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 garbage out. Fine, I will. I get down to the garbage, and I want to slam the bag into the garbage. But it was collectibles, so it was annoying because it was the one where you had to open like this, so you can't even be cool and slam it. So I have to put the bag down, and I open the thing, and I go to put the bag in there, and there's my wallet sitting on top of the collectibles, in the collectible bin. And the Holy Spirit's like, dummy, (laughs) have I not told you? Stop complaining. You're going to find it. Because around moving time, you're stressed. We were moving into Sandy's Rodlowski's house, and she is a beastly landlord who charges way too much and is mean, and I was nervous. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Two years ago, I went to see the New York Knicks clinch a spot in the playoffs. They don't have the same pull that they used to have back when it was Oakley and Mason and John Starks and people actually played basketball because they could play defense. They were allowed to actually play defense back then and they weren't upset if people got hurt and people actually played all season long and didn't do load management and have people pay 200 bucks for a ticket and then not play LeBron. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, On the way home, I got a pizza, because I was by myself. No one was there to judge me. And I'm eating this pizza on the train on the way back, and I took my wallet out, because I have OCD, and I put it on the train, and I put the pizza box on top of, and I had some wireless headphones, and I was listening to some music, so when I got off the train, I was still listening to the music, thought my phone was on me, left it on the train, on the choo-choo train, my whole wallet on the train put in a claim with Grand Central. (laughs) Three weeks later, a phone call. Mr. Dandriano, we have your wallet. And there's a person here. His name is Douglas Hanson. He says he's your best friend. (laughs) He would like, you don't have to come here. He'll bring your wallet to you. Doug drops the wallet off. I'm like, thanks, man. Thanks, man. You're the best. You're the best. You're the best. No, you're the best. I love you. And I'm like, God, don't even say anything. Just don't say anything. I get it. I get it. And then now I'm starting to think, like, what's about to happen in my life where God had to do that three times? Three times. But the reality there, every time it was this. When things start to go south, don't complain. Don't complain. Because provision always shows up. And it's not always provision that satisfies everything we need in the natural. But there is always provision for us to say man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I want to show you this from the text. The flow of negativity, here's the reality. We are allowed to complain. We shouldn't be grumblers. And I want to explain exactly what this is. We should be allowed to complain. We should be allowed to express frustration over something that happened because that's prayer and that's human. Read the Psalms. Read Jesus on the cross. Read any healthy people you know. To hold in complaint is to bring cancer into your soul. You have to be able to express frustration, but let me tell you what shouldn't happen, and it's this. The first word that we are introduced to with the Israelites is they began to quarrel with Moses. And simply put, very simply, the word quarrel means to begin to build a case. Have you ever driven to work and you're slowly building the court case against your boss or against your coworker or you know you're about to meet somebody for lunch and they've been you know saying a few things and you got to confront them and you're ready because you're building your case? You ever argue with a spouse, and in your head, you're like you're like in the shower, in the middle of an argument, you're like, you know what I'm going to say? If Jacqueline says this to me, I'm going to say this, and it's going to make her say that. And as soon as she says that, gotcha, because now I'm going to say this, and I'm going to be right, and she's going to say sorry, and she's going to love me more than she ever has before. That's what we think. We build a case, and when you build a case long enough, then... Grumbling happens, not complaining, and listen to what grumbling means. Grumbling means to lodge, to stay someplace and not leave. Expressing frustration allows you to keep moving. I'm frustrated with the way the finances are going. I'm frustrated with the way things are happening. I'm frustrated with the way my calling, the ministry, my marriage, my kids, whatever it is. I'm frustrated with the way these things are going. But when you say them in a healthy way to the right people in prayer, complaining allows you to keep moving. But when complaining turns to grumbling, you lodge in your issues and you can't move on from them. It happens to all of us. We get stuck in a particular issue, and then all of life revolves around that issue, and everything that goes wrong, we blame it on that issue. Back, Jacqueline can tell you, back when we first got married, and all I wanted to do was be in the ministry, and I was driving to Katona, On 684, you know this story, all the time, I didn't like what I was doing, and I wanted to be doing something else, so every time somebody else crashed and I was in traffic, I'd be like, I can't stand the church. (laughs) What? Because in your head, when you lodge, you're like, if it wasn't for them, then if it wasn't for, if they're the ones who could get me there, and if they could get me there, then I wouldn't have to be at this job, and if I didn't have to be at this job, I wouldn't be in this traffic right now. My skills would be being used much better than they are in this traffic. Listening to Fred Hammond's Pages of Life, <laughs> chapter 3, speak those things, you were right. You get mad at the toxicity of what should have been a prayerful complaint has now turned into a lodging. It's lodged in your soul. You're choking on it. It's lodged. You're staying there. You've built a tabernacle there. You've built a temple there. You've built a fortress there. It's now the thing that you can't get out of. And everything that happens, everything good that happens, it's only good if it can pull you away from that. And everything bad that happens, it's bad because of that. And then what comes from that is accusation, which is the devil's language. It went from give us a drink To the accusation of you brought us out here to kill us. Without something interrupting this flow, this is what will always happen. We will lose the wallet and complain and complain and complain even though God brought that wallet back hundreds of times. Like I said to the worship team, I'll say to you right now, you're here today, right now, because God has brought you through every single thing you've ever faced in your entire life. Otherwise, you would not be here right now. You're here because nothing has been able to stop you from being here out of everything that's ever occurred in your entire life. And yet, when something goes wrong immediately after church or this sermon starts to take too long, people will start grumbling. You're already starting to build the case right now. They did that extra song. Eric Davis read 485 verses today. He seems like he's still well within his introduction. We get stuck. Case building turns into lodging. We, we start renting real estate in the area that's going wrong. And it becomes who we are and we complain and we grumble and we're nasty and we're cranky and we begin accusing. And we might be mature enough to not accuse somebody directly to their face, one or two of us, but we start to maybe even accuse ourselves. If I would have made better decisions, I wouldn't be in this place which is one of the worst levels of accusation, is when you start leveling it against yourself. We need something to interrupt the flow of case building to grumbling to accusing. Bishop Q, in a sermon he preached last week, said this, what keeps us from quietly quitting? What keeps us from quietly quitting. And what he means by quietly quitting, he said, he said to his church, he said, there are some of you who at your jobs, you're still there, but you've quit. You've stopped doing extra on your own. Then you went to, I'll do extra if I'm asked. Then you went to, I'm not doing extra no matter what. And now you're seeping into not even doing the bare minimum. You haven't left because you need the money, but you've quietly quit. Some of us have quietly quit on the church. There may be one or two of you who are sitting here right now who aren't really here right now. We've quietly quit on our marriages, on our parenting, on our friends, on our goals, on our ambitions. We've quietly quit. What keeps it from happening? In the gospel story, Jesus the true and better Israelite, the one who represents not just Adam but also Israel, he shows up at a well at noon and he's thirsty. He's tired and he's weary from his work. He says, give me a drink. But here's the thing. When the Israelites said to Moses, give us a drink, and when Jesus said to the woman, give me a drink, The same words were being spoken, but two very different things were happening. There is a way in which we can take our burdens, put them in a slingshot, and hurl them at somebody else in a way that demands that they help. Or there's a way to share our burdens with each other, like Jesus, you ready? In a way that actually motivates and unburdens the other person. Jesus shared his burden with the woman, and for the rest of the story, her burdens were flying off of her shoulders as Jesus burdened her with his burdens. So there's a way to throw your burden at somebody. There's a way to toss your burdens. Jacqueline and I, when we do marriage counseling, we often say, when you're having a conversation, husbands and wives... Don't play dodgeball. Have a catch. Don't fire your thoughts at each other trying to hit somebody in the head and say, you're out. Toss your opinion in a way where the other person can catch it. When you catch your spouse's opinion, hold it for a second. That's a wonderful opinion. I'm going to throw it right back to you with my opinion added to it. Have a catch. Don't play dodgeball. The Israelites were playing dodgeball they were throwing their burdens at him. Jesus says to the woman, in effect, Take my yoke. Help me with it. I'm thirsty. Give me a drink. Now, when is this happening? This is happening at noon. And what is Jesus? He's thirsty. What does this remind us of a couple of years later? Jesus at noon is hanging on a cross. Jesus shows up to the well in pain. He's thirsty. And the woman shows up in need. And on Calvary, on Good Friday, Jesus shows up in pain and we show up in need. And Jesus in John 4 says, I thirst, give me something to drink. And for the rest of the story, the woman is set free. And on Good Friday, Jesus will say, I thirst. But this time, he's not saying it to the woman in John 4. He's saying it to all of us. And when he says to us, I thirst, give me a drink, what he's saying is, as soon as you start to give me a drink, your burdens are going to come. Well, how do I give you a drink when you've offered a cup of cold water to the least of these? You've offered it to me. Well, nothing is going right. How do I have time to serve? Exactly. Because grumbling keeps us from serving. Having a thankful heart in the midst of trial thrusts us into serving in a way that unburdens us. Watch, watch what happens. Jesus doesn't grumble, he just simply says, I'm thirsty, can I have a drink? On the cross, all he says is, I thirst. Now listen, that might not be amazing to you, but can you imagine saying to the people, imagine somebody just offended you, just offended you. Imagine somebody has severely offended you, and you express to them how bad you feel by saying, made me feel bad. And then imagine this, you ready? Everybody hold on. You don't say anything else. Imagine, imagine just saying, you, you hurt my feelings, and then being quiet. Honestly, the odds of me doing that are like the odds of me walking on water 65 times in a row, and then shooting five under par on the golf course. like It's not going to happen ever in my entire life. Jesus says, I thirst. And we're waiting for him to say, because of you. How dare you? I'm the one who gives living water. I have a well inside of me that pours into your soul and now I can't even have a drink. That's what we're waiting for him to say, but he doesn't grumble. He expresses and then he's quiet you can look at me quietly all you want. That is the most amazing miracle that I think Jesus has ever done is just to say what the problem is without complaining, without any drama, without anything extra. Can you imagine me just saying my sermon and nothing extra? It'd be unreal. It'd be unreal. We'd all get to Perkins first. First. This woman, oh, you know, when you're a grumbly kind of person, you also judge harshly. The Bible doesn't tell us why this woman has had five husbands and why the man she's with now is not her husband. It doesn't tell us why, because it want, the Bible and the spirit working through the Bible wants us to see how judgy and nasty we are. My whole life, probably because all of my pastors were men, I was taught that she was a woman of the night. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And that's why she's had five husbands, and the man she's shacking up with now, living with, isn't her husband. But Jesus just says the man you're with now is not your husband. He doesn't say you're living together, He doesn't even say you're being inappropriate. He just says you're dating somebody. Why do we jump to immorality? Because we're grumblers. Did she cheat on five husbands? Well, in Jewish culture 2,000 years ago, after she cheated on the first husband, no one else would have ever married her again, let alone four other guys. But look at how quickly we judge. (laughs) She was immoral five times. Or were they immoral? Is she the one who got cheated on three times and then two other ones died tragically? How do we know? How do we know that the man she's with now desperately wants to marry her, but she's afraid to love again because every time she has, it's gone wrong on her? Well, pastor, she was coming to the well at noon because she knew that she was wrong. Or was she coming to the well at noon because she thought she knew that everybody thinks she was wrong and doesn't really feel like dealing with all of that? So she came at noon to get some time by herself to work out her trauma and her pain. See, the things the Bible doesn't tell us reveals who we are to ourselves. What we jump to quickly shows us are we like Jesus? Or were you like the accuser? Maybe she was immoral. But the point is, it doesn't say it. It's as likely as all the other things I just said. But why do we choose the ones we choose? Because we're grumblers. And when we're grumblers, we make everyone around us worse than we're feeling. When we're grumblers, we make everyone around us have to be worse than we're feeling. Because let's face the facts. When somebody around you is worse than you're feeling, it makes you feel better. Don't make me always have to be the honest one. I'm not one of them holy. There's times where I'm in such a bad mood, I hear one of you is having a bad day, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that's somebody else. Hallelujah, I am so grateful for their bad day. Praise the Lord. I'm not going to say their names because I really, really do enjoy their commentaries and I glean a lot from their theology, but two people that I read both said something I think is a bit ridiculous. Jesus says, go call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you are correct. You've had five and the one you're with is not your husband. And she goes, you are correct, sir. And then she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. If you're a prophet, riddle me this. Where are we supposed to worship? On this mountain or that mountain? Now, both commentaries that I read said that this woman was deflecting. Jesus said, go call your husband, and she deflected because she didn't want to talk about her immorality. She deflected and brought up a religious debate, a political debate. And I think they couldn't be more wrong about that. I think Jesus said, go call your husband, and she opened up to Jesus about the heart of her issue. I've been hurt so many times, I don't know where to worship anymore. I don't think she was deflecting. I think she was letting him all the way in. I think she, has, she was running the risk of getting lodged in her complaint. And she said to Jesus, if you don't come in to the deepest part of my pain, which is I've been hurt so much, I don't know where to worship anymore. I don't know how to worship anymore. I don't know if I can worship anymore. I need you to dislodge me from the grip of this despair. She wasn't deflecting. They're deflecting. Because they don't want him to get that close. They just want to write their commentaries. Men. look it, what does Jesus do? He talks to her about living water. He tells her that she can worship right where she is because worship doesn't have to do with this mountain or that mountain, Jews or Samaritans. It has to do with spirit and truth. He's saying, woman, you've honestly expressed your complaint. You've honestly said what the truth about your life is. You're already worshiping. Forget the debate. You're already worshiping. And look what happens. That water jar to her every day when she saw it represented everything that had gone wrong in her life. It represented the fact that she had to go to the well at noon in the heat of the day in the desert because of all the busybodies and gossips out there. It represented a place she had to go but didn't want to go. And the minute Jesus releases her to worship, right where she is, she leaves her water jar, doesn't get a drink, and runs to tell people that she's met a man. You ready? That water jar could have been what she was lodged in, and now she's able to dislodge and run to the town. Because Jesus met his burden, he offered her his burden, and his burden opened her up to offer him her burden, and as they were mutually carrying each other's burdens, she's opened up, she leaves her water jar, and she runs to a whole bunch of people and says, I've met a man. Now, if she really was a woman of the night, do you think people would have been all that surprised? So clearly, she wasn't a prostitute because saying, I met a man and he's a prophet, they would have been like, you don't need to be a prophet. But they all went with her. Why? Because as St. Augustine says, she was probably a woman of high standing who herself was a prophet. Because the whole town goes out at her word. If she was a despised and rejected adulteress, they wouldn't have gone to follow her to another dude but because she's a woman with good reputation who is being talked about even 2,000 years later, still being talked about, she runs to the town and they all listen to her because she has respect from them. So look what happens. She leaves her water jar, her complaint, her grumbling. She leaves it. She doesn't accuse Jesus. He says, I'm the Messiah. She didn't say, you couldn't have saved me from five divorces. You couldn't have saved three of my husbands from dying. You couldn't have stopped them from cheating on me. You couldn't have given me forewarning. I'm a prophetess too. I never heard you say, don't be with him. He's going to cheat on you again. Again. She could have complained, but you know what she does? She leaves her complaint with Jesus and runs free. And on the way, she becomes the jar filled with the holy water. And by the time she gets to the town, and I hope this is exciting, the water in her has become wine, and the entire town is intoxicated with her gospel announcement and run out to see Jesus. To the point where they say to her, we're not even coming here because of you. We've now tasted the wine that himself. Offer your complaint to the Lord. Don't hold it in. But offer it and move. Say what you're frustrated about and then go. Talk about your pain and then keep going though. Don't get lodged. Well, what happens if we do, pastor? Because I am. I'm lodged right now. Uh, We could have the worship team come on up. I'm lodged right now. So what happens? Look at, go back to the Exodus story. You want to know how good God is? They complain. The psalm that Anthony read this morning, says, I loathed that generation who complained in the wilderness. Loathed, loathed. That's so mean. I loathed them for 40 years. That's how long I've been alive. That's a long time to loathe somebody. But his loathing looks a lot different than ours. You want to know why? Because two seconds after they grumbled, complained, and accused, what did he do? He gave them what they were demanding. Oh, how many of us do that? Don't look at me like you're not impressed. How many of us get demanded on, treated like garbage, and then offer that anyway? He didn't say, because you were sinful, I'm not going to give you water. It came out of the rock anyway. Because he disciplines, but he never harms. We feel pain from his discipline, but we're never abused. It hurts, but it doesn't do damage. And no matter how rebellious we are, no matter how much he wants to loathe us, God looks at us and he's like, I loathe you, but I cannot help myself. You're so darn cute. Here's water anyway. Even when we get lodged and we're choking, he offers us what we need to be able to breathe again to leave the water jar of our complaint and go. In Exodus, water comes from a rock. It has no business coming from a rock, but it does. In the gospel story, living water came out of a woman who was pulverized by trauma in her life. That kind of goodness has no business coming out of a life that has been crumpled up and thrown out by so many people. But in the same way that water comes out of the rock, it came out of her trauma anyway. In Romans chapter 5, what Steve read, suffering produces endurance and character and hope. But hold on. Suffering doesn't produce. Suffering takes Yeah, right. The rock doesn't produce water, but when Jesus touches it, it does. Trauma can't possibly produce good news, but when Jesus touches it, it does. Suffering couldn't possibly produce hope, but when Jesus touches it, it does. The opposite of complaining is letting Jesus touch our suffering. So I close with this idea as we come to the table. Let's stand to our feet this morning. We all know that the word Judah means, say it together, praise. But it didn't always mean praise. It means praise now. But every Sunday morning, I read the work of Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who is not a Christian. He's a Jewish rabbi. Why do I do that? Because the Old Testament scriptures are not ours first. They belong to other people first. And sometimes we need to submit to the authority of people who know their language better than we do. Amen? So I was listening to Rabbi this morning, reading his words, and he said Judah didn't always mean praise. When his name was first uttered, it first meant to confess. Leah said, I will now praise the Lord, and we get hung up on the word praise, but she said, I will now confess thanksgiving to the Lord. So she called him Judah. That word was used for a long time to be the Jewish word for the confession of sin, Judah. It became, in its etymology as the years went on, it went from a word that means to confess, to a word that means to give thanks. And then it built over time in all the traditions to become a word that means to praise. But look at the flow of complaining. Build a case. Grumble. Accuse. And look at the flow that Jesus interrupts us with. Confess. Give thanks. Praise. He interrupts our complaining. He interrupts our case building by offering us the option to say, "I'm going to tell you what's bothering me. I'm going to confess that I've had some really nasty thoughts about dude in front of me playing mulatto because I have to go. I'm going to confess. I'm going to give thanks, and that is going to become praise." So on the night when Jesus was betrayed, my man could have grumbled. Oh, could he have grumbled. God, 5,000 people to feed, and I got five pieces of bread. But he doesn't grumble. He gives thanks. God, I'm sitting around a table of these guys who are, after all these years, not going to do very well tonight. How many times do I have to clean up this house? He doesn't say that. He holds up what will represent his demolished body, and he gives thanks. How is Jesus able to look at lack? How is he able to look at his own betrayal and his own being manipulated and his own rejection and give thanks? Because of the Holy Spirit. And so when we come to the Eucharist, we come having confessed our sins. We give thanks. That's why it's called Eucharist, Eucharisma, to give thanks. And we leave with praise. We leave here hopefully interrupting the flow of negativity and reintroducing the flow of praise. The flow of praise is not an ignoring of what's hurting you. This is what people get wrong. It's not not talking about the stuff that's bothering you. You cannot hide a thought from God anyway. Let's all stop playing. Saying the truth about how you feel and then moving on is health. And if you're stuck, then say the truth about that and water will come out of something in your life that it has no earthly business coming out of, but he will change your attitude. Something good will come from something unexpected. The wallet will be all the way down the field. The wallet will be in the garbage can. Grand Central will call you and say, hey neighbor, we have your wallet and somebody's bringing it to you. What are the odds of New York City doing that? Let's close our eyes. Father God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourself. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Thank you, Almighty Father, for forgiving us and for keeping us in eternal life. And now, as we prepare ourselves in heart and mind to come to this table, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in Him. And I pray that you would descend on this congregation that as they come to receive the bread, that they would leave their water jar. Not ignore it, but put it before you and walk away free. Free to be frustrated. Free to even complain. Free to have the pain and the sorrow, but not have it get lodged in our soul. I pray this week, instead of accusation, there would be service, And there would be affirmation, the peace that passes understanding, the blessed assurance. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. If you're on this side of the room, Elder George will be here. If you're on this side of the room, Elder Bill will be here. Come, receive, leave your water jar and worship with us.
0: Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our
2: location, Check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.